Well, I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. As I've already mentioned, this morning is um, a unique event in the life of our church as we have the, the joy of confirming Jim Stowe as an elder and pastor here at Royal York. So I thought it would be wise uh, to think about what the Bible actually says about eldership or pastors. So we're going to be jumping around a little bit this morning, but I've provided a bunch of references in your bulletin if you desire to look up those passages later, because if you try to keep up with me, uh, you're going to have a hard time trying to follow along. So before we begin, let me, uh, let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness to us. We thank you for your son who is the head of your church. We thank you for the apostles and prophets of whom you have given a unique authority to. They are the foundation. And Lord, we thank you that in your mercy and grace you have also provided other offices or roles of authority, that of elders and pastors and evangelists. And we give you thanks, Lord, for these gifts. And Lord, as we look to your word now and as we reflect upon your word, I pray that you would give us ears to hear and minds to understand and hearts to receive your word. There are things in your word that are contrary to our culture. And sometimes we find ourselves swimming in our culture, not realizing that we have embraced certain values of our culture that are contrary to your word and your ways. And so, Lord, align our hearts with your revealed will. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, if you've read a little bit about Israel's history in the Bible, you will know, especially reading through 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, and 1st and 2nd Chronicles, that often within Israel's history, when Israel had a godly king, the people of Israel were also godly. But when an ungodly king was put in position in a place of authority, what often happened is the people of Israel would also be led astray because of the leadership of that ungodly king. When a nation had a godly king, the people honored God. When the nation had a godless king, the people strayed from God. And there's a simple principle when you read the Bible, and especially First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles, and the principle is this: most of the time, godly leadership produces godly people, and most of the time, ungodly leadership produces ungodly people. Now we know there are exceptions to the rule. We think of, for example, Moses. Moses was a godly man. And none of the Israelites were ever godly under his leadership. But overall, Israel's history demonstrates this principle. That godly leadership produces godly people and ungodly leadership produces ungodly people. And this is why there were instructions in the Old Testament on what the king of Israel was to be like and what he was to do. In Deuteronomy 17... We read this in regards to the king. This is what God tells the people in regards to the king. When you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you and you possess it 
and dwell in it and then say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me. You may indeed set a king over you whom the Lord your God will choose. One from among your brothers you shall set as king over you. You may not put a foreigner over you who is not your brother. Only he must not acquire many horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses since the Lord has said to you, you shall never return that way again. And he shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. Now we know when you read through the stories of the kings, many of them did not abide by this. Then it goes on further. And when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law. Now this law there is in reference to the book of Deuteronomy. The king was instructed to write his own copy of the book of Deuteronomy, approved by the Levitical priests, and it shall be with him, and he shall read it, read in it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them, that his heart may be not lifted up above his brothers, and that he may not turn aside from the commandment, either to the right hand or to the left, so that he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children in Israel. The primary task of the king of Israel was to immerse himself in the book of Deuteronomy, so that he would know God's ways and lead God's people, that he himself would be godly. That was God's number one concern about the king of Israel. You see, God was deeply concerned for the kind of king that would rule over the nation of Israel. The emphasis was not about the king's abilities, but his character. He wanted a godly king to rule over the nation, a king who had a heart for God, because he understood that the king would be, to some degree, the deciding factor on whether or not God's covenant people, Israel, would follow his ways. Godly leadership and authority really does matter for the well-being and flourishing of God's people. Now, of course, that was under the Old Covenant, where the people of God were an ethnic, political, spiritual nation. Whereas under the New Covenant, the people of God are a spiritual people from every nation, tribe, and tongue that manifests itself within the nations through local churches. See, under the New Covenant, we do have a king, and his name is Jesus, and he is the head of the church. He has supreme rule and authority over his church because he purchased the church with his own blood. But Christ has also established lesser authorities within his church for the sake of the flourishing of the church, the body of Christ. And one of those authorities is that of an elder or overseer or pastor. The New Testament uses those words interchangeably. Now, just as God laid out qualifications for kings in Israel, so he has also laid out qualifications for elders within the local church. Now, I want to be clear. I'm not saying that elders are in comparison to kings, okay? You do not call me King Peter, as much as that might sound nice. Um, but, but God has laid out 
in the Old Testament qualifications for those who led the people of Israel. And in the New Testament, he has also laid out qualifications who are uh, laid out qualifications for those who are called to lead the people of God, the new covenant community. And here's a really important point. The focus of the New Testament in regards to elders and pastors is not skill set. It's not giftedness. It's not competency and ability. Now, those things are important, but that's not the most important thing. It's not the emphasis of the New Testament. The emphasis of the New Testament isn't giftedness, but godly character. So look at 1 Timothy 3, which I had you turn to. Here, Paul lays out the qualifications of an elder, and look at what he says. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer or elder, he desires a noble task. So if you aspire to be an elder or pastor or overseer, Paul says that's a noble task to aspire to. Look at verse 2. Therefore, an overseer must be able to hold the attention of crowds of 5,000 people. Doesn't say that. He must be an incredible orator. Doesn't say that. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. That is the idea of blameless. That is, he's not sinless, but there's a level of integrity in his life. The husband of one wife, he's a one-woman kind of man, devoted to his one wife. Sober-minded, that is, he has he has command of his reason. He's balanced in his assessments. His head's not in the clouds. Self-controlled. He has general control over his behavior and impulses. Respectable. He conducts himself in a manner worthy of honor. Hospitable. All Christians are called to be hospitable, but elders should also lead in this way. He must be able to teach. This is the only qualification that is based upon competency. An elder must be able to teach and handle God's word. He must not be a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. There are a lot of pastors today who ought to be disqualified simply on that basis. Quarrelsome and not gentle. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. First, uh, Titus also lays out qualifications where Paul says, this is why I left you in Crete, so Paul's speaking to Titus, so that you might put what remain into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to, to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction and sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Now, when you look at these qualifications, there's nothing really extraordinary here. Every Christian is to aspire to be like this. 
The extraordinary reality of the qualifications is how ordinary they actually are. And so today, we are, as a local church, confirming Jim as an elder of Royal York. And the fundamental reason we are doing so is not due to his capabilities, but his character. We believe as a church that Jim exemplifies the character qualifications that are laid out in the two passages that I just read for us. See, when you as a member voted in favor of Jim several weeks ago at our members meeting, that's what you were confirming. You were confirming that Jim meets the qualifications of an elder, that his life reflects those qualifications. See, I think what has happened in much of evangelicalism today is that there has been a reversal of what's most important when it comes to pastoring. What most people are looking for when it comes to elders are their abilities rather than their character. People are wowed by a man's giftedness rather than wowed by his character. And the result of this is, of course, men in positions of authority who may be extremely gifted but do not have the character for the results that their giftedness may produce. And if churches focus more of their attention on the character of their leaders, I believe there would be far less stories of moral collapses on the part of pastors. There would still be stories, don't get me wrong, Because even godly, qualified men fail. Just think of David. But I do believe there would be less. Now, of course, there are abilities that one has to have in order to be faithful in the work of an elder. For one, you you need to be able to teach God's word faithfully. But when you look at the role of what an elder is, you can implicitly see some of the things that an elder needs to be capable of. So, for example, part of the role of an elder is to give oversight to the life of the church, which requires a certain level of leadership abilities. Like, if a person can't lead, if people don't look to him, it's probably wise that he not be an elder. Do you see? There's wisdom in that. And so what I want to do this morning is really two things. In light of Jim being installed as an elder today, I want to look at what the scriptures teach us on what are the responsibilities of the elders to you, the members of Royal York Baptist Church. What is it that Jim and myself are called to do as elders of Royal York? What is our responsibility to you? And then I want to look at what are the responsibilities of you, the members of Royal York, to the elders? Now, for some of us, this will be new, and for others of us, it will be simply a good refresher. Sometimes what we need as Christians is not to hear something new, but to be reminded of what we already know to be true. So first, what are the responsibilities of the elders? What is the responsibility of Jim as he becomes an elder here to you, the members of Royal York? Well, the first is this, as I've already mentioned. Elders have the task of giving oversight to the life of the church. And this idea comes right out of the word that Paul uses in 1 Timothy 3. The saying is trustworthy if anyone aspires to the office of overseer. 
The elders of a local church are given the responsibility of leading and giving oversight to the life of the local church. They set the agenda, so to speak. Now, this doesn't mean they do everything, as we'll see, but it does mean that they're leading and guiding the church. We're called to direct and lead us according to the word of God. We're to have major input into what happens in our church. And so, for example, uh, there's been a few women's Bible studies over this past year, and there's a book study planned for this summer. I think it begins this Monday. And this wasn't initiated by me nor by Jim, which I absolutely love, by the way. I love when members desire to initiate things and seek the elders' input. But those leading the study, my wife and Kathy, Uh, Gracie came and she talked to me about what they were going to be doing and I had no concerns about it. Now, if I believed that they were going to be doing a study that was undermining what the Bible teaches, Jim and I would step in as elders and say, that's not happening here and here are the biblical reasons why. So giving oversight doesn't mean having your hands on everything. My wife would not like it if I showed up at that Bible study and said, I'm going to lead this. But it does mean that we do need to sometimes address things and we have the authority to do so. Elders give oversight to the overall life of the church. Also, elders are to shepherd, guard, and watch over the people, to watch over the sheep of God. Hebrews 13, 17, the writer of Hebrews says this, Obey your leaders and submit to them. And here's why. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. That's a scary, scary statement for us as elders. We have the responsibility of watching over the immortal souls of those God has entrusted to our care. And we're told that we're going to be held accountable to God for this, whether we have done this faithfully or not. 1 Peter 5, 1-4, Peter says this, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. That is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly. (laughs) If an elder is, is doing this under compulsion, he probably shouldn't be an elder. But willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering. An elder is not to be domineering, asserting one's will over another in an arrogant way. But being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. See, elders are simply under shepherds of the chief shepherd. But we are called to watch over the souls and shepherd the flock of God. But what does a shepherd actually do? Well, he cares for his sheep. What happens if a shepherd neglects his sheep? His sheep go astray. He nourishes his sheep. He directs his sheep because the sheep can go astray. And the fundamental way in which we as elders shepherd is the word of God. And as Paul says here, in, or as Peter says here in 1 Peter, 
and by example. By example. In Acts 20, 28-31, the Apostle Paul is on his way to Jerusalem. And before he heads there, he calls the um, elders from Ephesus to come to him. And he speaks with them. He was very close with them. I think he spent over three years with them. And he tells them that he's going to go to Jerusalem. And he, and he, he tells them that most likely he's not going to return. He's going to, to suffer. And it will be the end for him. And as he speaks with them, he tells them, of course, that, that he is innocent of the blood of all men, for he never withheld holding back the testimony of Jesus Christ. But then he also exhorts the elders, and this is what he says, pay careful attention, this is to the elders, pay careful attention to yourselves. Jim and I have a responsibility to, to, to pay careful attention to ourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. The elders are called to shepherd, care for, watch over, and guard the sheep because there are real threats to the sheep. Now, I want to be clear here. Elders are not problem fixers. Sometimes people have this idea that their elders are to fix their problems for them. No. No. We're called to shepherd and care for your soul in the midst of life's problems. That doesn't mean that we as a church don't practically meet people's needs. We want to do that and and we're called to do that. But to expect elders and pastors to fix your problems in this life is something that we simply can't do. And here's why. We can barely fix our own problems. No, no, we're called to shepherd your soul and care for your soul through the midst of life's problems. We are called to shepherd with eternity in mind. That is our primary concern, my primary concern, Jim's primary concern is to make sure that you're ready to stand before God whenever that day may come. So we're called to give oversight and to shepherd the flock of Jesus. Third thing, elders are called to teach and guard the doctrine of the church. So not only are we called to guard and protect the sheep, but we are also called to teach and guard the doctrine of the church. In Titus 1, 5, 5 to 9, which I read where he lays out the qualifications of an elder, he also says this about the elder. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Now there are three things that Paul says an elder must do in relation to the word of God. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word. I love that Paul says the trustworthy word. He wants to make it clear that the word of God is trustworthy. But he must hold firm to this trustworthy word. That is, he must believe it to be the oracles of God and live by it. Bank his life on it. But not only that, he must also be able to give instruction in sound doctrine. 
He's got to know what the Bible teaches and what the church has faithfully taught through its history. It doesn't mean that he has to be some incredible gifted communicator. It simply means he's able to instruct the people of God with the word of God. But there's one other thing that he adds. He must also rebuke those who contradict God's word. We have a responsibility to correct false doctrine, especially when it's within our own ranks. The Bible claims that there is such thing as objective truth. You see, if someone in our church began teaching or promoting that Jesus wasn't fully God, we would need to correct that as elders. If someone in our church started to teach and promote that all forms of sexual practice are acceptable before God, so long as consent is acknowledged, we would need to correct that. It's contrary to sound doctrine. Now, I also want you to see the importance of this specific task given to the elders. That is the task of teaching and guarding sound doctrine. Because it is central to the life of the church. In Acts 6, we, uh, there's this dispute going on because, well, let me read it to you. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So the, the Hellenist Jews, that is the, the Greek-speaking Jews, are, are making a complaint because the widows who are Hellenists, that is Hebrew, uh, Jewish women who speak Greek, are being neglected in comparison to the widows who only speak Hebrew. Okay? And so there's this conflict in the church. And this comes to the twelve apostles. And this is what we read. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said... It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Now, they are not saying that serving tables is not important. It is important, but all of us know in life there are different levels of importance with everything in life, right? My family is more important than my job. It's not saying that my job isn't important. It's just saying when you compare the two, my family is more important. My relationship with Jesus is more important than my relationship with my family, right? There's different levels of importance. And so the apostles are making clear that the preaching of the word of God is the most central thing in the life of the church. And that's why he says, that's why Luke records, therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, who we will appoint to this duty, that is to, to care for the widows. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. Now I realize that these are the apostles. Elders are not apostles, but the ministry of the elders is or of the apostles is handed down to the teachers of God's word because we don't have apostles anymore. The apostles have given us the scriptures. This is the focus of where an elder should give his time and his energy to prayer and the ministry of the word. Now, why? Why should we as elders be primarily devoted to prayer and the ministry of the word? Well, I think prayer is obvious in that all our efforts as elders, but also as a church, are in vain without the power and help of God. Not only that, one of the primary ways in which we care for your soul is being faithful in praying for your soul. 
See, we forget that prayer can accomplish far more than all our efforts in changing things. But why the ministry of the word? Why is it so important that elders be devoted to the ministry of the word? Well, let me give you two passages that I think demonstrate so clearly why this is to be the central task of elders. 2 Timothy 3, 14 to 17, Paul says this to Timothy. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. And then he says this, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. That's an incredible statement. These sacred writings are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And then he says this, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That's why the scriptures, that's why elders focus their time on explaining and teaching the word of God because the sacred writings can make you wise for salvation. The sacred writings can make you complete, equipped for every good work. The sacred writings can train you in righteousness. 1 Timothy 4, 13-16, Paul says this, Until I come, speaking to Timothy, devote yourself. Devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this. Why? For by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. The preaching of God's word, God in his mysterious providence has ordained that the preaching of God's word, the teaching of God's word be the primary means by which you and I are saved. Salvation is at stake. And the ministry of the word is the one of the ways in which God gets his people to the finish line. When the ministry of the word is neglected, it allows for a back door to be opened in which all kinds of false doctrines can creep in and lead the people of God astray. And I would say even more so today with the internet. Satan wants elders to neglect the word of God. Satan wants you, wants to lead you astray in what you believe and how you live. Augustine, reflecting on Psalm 39, said this about the way in which Satan works against God's people. He uses two images which come right out of the Bible to describe the way in which Satan works. And the image is that of a lion and that of a snake. And this reflection, he's comparing how Satan worked in the early church through persecution as a lion. And And now he currently was working not through persecution but of deception and false doctrine. Listen to these words. Our enemy was a lion in earlier days when he used to rampage openly, but now he is a snake lying hidden in ambush. The apostle warned us about the wiles of this snake. The snake is that ancient seducer who tries to violate the virginity, not of the flesh, but of the heart. 
As a human seducer exalts in wickedness when he violates the body, so the devil is triumphant when he corrupts the mind. As our ancestors needed patient fortitude when pitted against the lion, so do we need vigilance against the snake. Persecution of the church never ceases, whether it is from the lion or from the snake. And the devil is more to be feared in the guise of the deceiver than when he rants and roars. In former days, he forced Christians to deny Christ. Nowadays, he teaches them to deny Christ. Then he used force, now doctrine. Then he attacked them violently, but now insidiously. Then he raged in full view, but now he weaves and slithers and is difficult to see. It is plan, it is plain how he applied force. It is his plan how he applied force to Christians in those earlier days to make them deny Christ. They were dragged off in order to apostatize, and when they confessed Christ instead, they earned their crowns. But today, the persecutor, that is Satan, persuades by teaching. And he misleads because anyone so deceived does not think that he or she is forsaking Christ. And God has graciously provided elders to be one of the means by which to stand against the schemes of the devil by teaching them the pure doctrine of the word of God. These are the primary responsibilities of elders to the local church, giving leadership and oversight, shepherding and guarding the sheep of Christ, and teaching and guarding sound doctrine. And by calling Jim as an elder, this is what you're primarily calling him to do. Now, what are the responsibility of you, the members, to the elders? What is your responsibility to Jim? Well, the first thing that we see in Scripture is this. You're called to honor and respect them. You're called to honor and respect Jim. 1 Thessalonians 5, 12-14 Paul says, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. This is the idea of honor. Now, I know the idea of honor has been lost in North America, but it ought not be lost in the church. Certain cultures and certain ethnicities really value honor. And sometimes it can be to the point of idolatry. But I also think as North Americans, we need to learn from these other cultures about the significance of honor. You see, our society has become so egalitarian that there's almost no regard for honor. And that's also wrong. You see, Inez, my little girl, needs to understand that the way in, in which she speaks to her peers is vastly different than the way she speaks to her grandparents, or at least it ought to be. And that's not simply old-fashioned. It's right. And maybe there's something that we need to relearn from the older generations about the role of honor in our society. Members of Royal York, you are called to honor and respect Jim as an elder, to esteem him highly in love. 
But what does that ultimately look like, though? Well, that leads to the next responsibility you have, which is so connected with honor and respect, and that is this. You're called to obey and submit to your elders. Hebrews 13, 17, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Now, I realize the word obey and submit are dirty words in our culture because it acknowledges the reality of authority. And our society in general is very suspicious of authority. And some of the suspicion is legitimate. We've seen authority abused in our culture and also within the church. But there's other reasons as well for viewing authority in our culture with suspicion or even disdain. And these are not good reasons. Our culture is immersed in what we would call expressive individualism and the autonomy of the self. And authority is a threat to one's autonomous self. And as Christians, we can fall prey to these ways of thinking as well. We can view authority with suspicion or even disdain. But if we're going to be faithful to the scriptures, we as Christians must affirm that authority is an an inherently good thing, though it can be used for great evil. Things that are good, that have the potential for producing great good, also have the potential for great evil when misused. And I think that's true of authority. Authority has the potential for great good when the one who is in authority is worthy of such a position and can use that authority for good. But if someone is in a position of authority who ought not be, then that individual has the potential for great harm and damage. We see this in society with so many good things that God has given us. But due to sin, these good things become destructive. So, for example, fathers are a good thing for society, a wonderful thing for families. There is so much potential for good when a father is committed to raising his children. But when a father neglects his authoritative role as the father of a family, it leads to harm and damage. We can see the same thing with sex. Sex is an inherently good thing that God gave us as humans to enjoy within the confines of covenant marriage between a man and a woman. And when those confines are honored, sex has the potential for incredible good. But when sex is misused, it has the potential for incredible evil and harm. And we see this being played out in our society today. You see, authority is inherently good because the one who has supreme authority, God, is inherently good. When God made Adam, he gave him authority over the creation. And when sin entered the world, that authority became corrupted by sin. You see, authority isn't some human construct. Authority is from God. Which means as Christians, we believe that God has actually placed people in authority over us. And one of those areas is is within the life of the church where God has established elders to lead and exercise authority within the church. And one of the ways in which you as members honor your elders is by obeying and submitting to their authority. Now there are several things that need to be said in regards to submitting to your elders to those whom God has placed over you. The first is this. 
In order to submit, you must be willing to trust. In order to submit, you must be willing to trust. Now, I know from experience, for some of us, that will be easier than others. Some of you have trusted a person in authority in the past, and you were deeply hurt by them. And ever since then, you're suspicious of anyone in authority, and you believe that any person in authority has to earn your trust before you give it. And I don't want to downplay anyone's painful experience with abuses of authority. But I want to say this to you as one of your elders. Don't allow what a person has done in your life to prevent you from trusting and experiencing the good that you may receive from another person. Don't judge a person based upon what another person has done to you in the past. Don't allow your standard of trust to be unlivable. That is If you have taken on a mindset that says, I will never trust anyone because of how people have failed me, then you're creating an environment that is unlivable for yourself. You will never have healthy relationships if the standard for your trust is, you can't fail me. We are fallen humans and we will all fail each other. As your pastor, I have no doubt that I have failed you at times. And if I haven't yet, I'm going to. See, to trust is to place yourself with the potential of being hurt. But it also places yourself with the potential for incredible good. And as your pastor, I want you to hear this from me. As Jim is officially confirmed as a fellow pastor and elder today, hear this. Trust him. Follow him. Submit to his leadership. If you believe he exemplifies the qualifications laid down in 1 Timothy 3, which you do because he got a 100% vote, then you should trust him and follow his lead. Assume the best of his motives, not the worst. Allow him to speak into your life, believing that he's seeking your good and not your harm. And guess what? Jim will fail you at times, and so will I. And may God help us to acknowledge when we have failed and to seek reconciliation. In order to submit and honor your elders, you need to learn to trust them. Secondly, You are not called to obey and submit to your elders no matter what. I want to add that in there. You are not called to submit and obey to your elders no matter what. Our authority is not unlimited. Our authority is limited authority. All human authority is limited authority. We're called to submit to governing authorities, but when the government goes beyond the limitations that God has placed upon it and requires its citizens to do something that is contrary to God's will, we're not called to submit. Husbands have limited authority. Fathers and mothers have limited authority. Pastors and elders have limited authority. Our authority is bound up with the word of God. So let me illustrate this. Let's say Jim was meeting with you in a one-on-one conversation And Jim said to you, you know, Bill, 
If you want to be faithful to Jesus, you need to give 40% of your income to the church. And because I'm your elder, you need to obey me. Are you required to obey Jim according to those words? Yes, I know that Jim would never do that. But no, you're not required. You're not required to obey him because Jim is demanding something from you that within the authority that's been given to him, he has no right to do so. God does not command you to give 40% of your income to the church, and neither can Jim. Now, if you were again meeting with Jim and he, came, and, he, and he became aware that you weren't giving anything to the Lord despite making decent money, Jim would have the authority as your elder to say to you, you know, Bill, the scriptures don't command us to give a specific percentage, but it does tell us that God desires for us to give cheerfully and sacrificially to the Lord. And you have to decide, Bill, before the Lord, what that would be. And as your pastor, I want to strongly exhort you to be giving to the Lord for the goodness of your soul, for it's more blessed to give than to receive, and for the sake of the kingdom. Now that's a very different situation. Because Jim has appealed to this individual on the authority of the scriptures, not just some random opinion of his. Do you see so yes, as members, you're called to honor and respect your elders by submitting to them and their leadership, but that submission is limited, which leads to the last responsibility you have as members in regards to your elders, and that is this. You have a responsibility to hold the elders of your church accountable to the Word of God. You're accountable to us as the sheep that have been entrusted to our pastoral leadership and care, but we're also accountable to you. In Galatians, Paul rebukes the whole church for tolerating false teachers, which means Paul assumed that the local church had within itself an authority from God to remove individuals who were leading the church astray. Remember, it's the church that's been given the keys of the kingdom, not elders. You see, if Jim and I began abandoning the key doctrines of the faith, you ought not tolerate, tolerate that as a member of Royal York. You ought to hold us to account. Or if we were living and disqualified ourselves based upon how we were living, you ought not tolerate that. See, the very fact that you affirm Jim as an elder demonstrates the responsibility you have in regards to who you allow to have authority within the life of the church. Which means a part of your responsibility to the elders of your church is to make sure that your elders are preaching and being faithful to the truth. Now this doesn't mean that every Sunday you go hunting. <laughs> I'm going to hunt for what Peter says wrong. Looking for any error that they might say. But it does mean that you need to be discerning as the body of Christ. So as members of Royal York, you're called to honor your elders. You're called to honor Jim. You're called to trust and submit to them. You're called to trust and submit to Jim. And also you're called to hold your elders accountable to the word of God. And you're called to hold Jim accountable to the word of God. Now two final things I want to say, and this will be brief. I know you're probably extremely hot, but I'm hotter than all of you right now, and so I have no pity. <laughs> Hear this. Allow Jim to serve as an elder with joy. 
Allow Jim to serve as an elder with joy. I skipped over this part in Hebrews 13, 17, but this is what it says. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Now, I want you to see where the responsibility lies. It doesn't say, Jim, you got to make sure you do this with joy. It doesn't say that. It says, you as the church, let him do it with joy and not with groaning. In other words, you have a role in the way in which Jim serves. If you are a difficult member, a difficult sheep, you will cause Jim to groan in his role rather than to serve with joy. And so allow him to serve with joy. And here's why. It's actually advantageous to you. For that would be of no advantage to you, he says. If Jim's going to serve with groaning, I can promise you, he won't serve you in a good way. But if you let him do it with joy, you will experience the blessing of that. There are some sheep who want to make it their full-time job to make sure their elders are miserable. Don't let that be you. Allow your elders to serve with joy and not groaning, and here's why. It's no advantage to you. Secondly, be devoted to praying for Jim and his family. There are going to be new demands upon Jim. There will be responsibilities that he will have that he did not have before. And his responsibilities will become more divided between his own work and serving here and also his family. It's going to require sacrifice on his part, but also the sacrifice of Jess, Clara, and Jimmy. And so I encourage you, if there's one thing you can do for your elders, is to pray for them and their families. To uphold them. See, the best thing you can do as a member is to faithfully pray for your elders that we would lead RYBC in the power of the Spirit and according to God's Word so that Christ would be honored and we would all be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ, who alone has absolute authority over His church, of which all of us are called to submit to and to follow. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you that in your mercy, you have saved us and you have gathered us together as the household of God. And within this household, you have placed different authorities. We thank you for the gift of elders. And I do ask that you would help both Jim and myself to be faithful to the task. And that the members here at Royal York would be faithful as members in serving you, in serving Christ. And I pray more than anything else that all of us would remember that before Jim and I are elders here, we are brothers in the family of God. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.